The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Fill her up! You're listening to the Gas Digital Network. Welcome to another episode of the House of Hardcore Podcast. I'm your host. This week is one of my favorite people. Haven't seen him in a while. Alpha Jr., welcome to the show. Man, what's going on? Thanks for having me. How are you, bud? Looking good. Thank looking, you. Thank you. Looking jacked in those shoulder area. <laughs> Gotta keep it uh, shoulder high, you know. <laughs> <laughs> keep the belly, uh, keep the belly down. Shoot Thanks. me from the high angle. Exactly. Um Question I ask everybody, which this will be an interesting answer for you. Uh, what got you hooked into the world of pro wrestling? Well, um, obviously, I was born into this with my dad being off of the Wild Samoan. Um, but like growing up in the business, I've always been around the business. I've always been in the ring, around the ring. Um, I remember a couple of times, um, one time in particular, my dad was running a TWWF show, Trans World Wrestling Federation which was his company before he name changed to WXW and uh, he booked midgets. And like, I, I had to be like eight years old, you know, nine years old. So uh, a couple of the boys were ribbing me and they talked me into jumping up and joining the match. on a show. <laughs> and I just remember the midgets hitting the ropes and me flying off of the ring and everybody laughing. And uh, yeah, so I really had no interest in jumping into the ring um, until about 1998. Um, it was sports fest. Um, my dad's big shows that he used to run in Allentown area. Um, we, I was there, um, WWF had a house show, um, in Bethlehem at Stabler arena that same night. Um, so I was at that. Um, and then that was the night that, um, my dad booked the rock, Owen Hart, um, D'Lo Brown, Mark Henry, mankind, like he booked the whole roster. It seemed like, so when we got over there, um, I wasn't in the business at all yet. Um, I was still playing little league baseball. My little league team was there. Um, we were supposed to go in the ring during intermission, you know, get announced as winning the championship, that sort of deal. So, uh, when I got in the ring there that night, there was like 20,000 people there. And, um, yeah, it was like that night is the reason why I wanted to wrestle. Just being in the ring, just looking out into the crowd that night. And it was magic. Um, so fast forward, like a month later, we're overseas in Austria. Um, on tour with my dad and that's where I started 13 years old. <laughs> I broke really? into the business in Austria. Yeah. Um, and it, it was full, you know, full go from there. How big were you at 13? When you're 13 big, I don't think I a lot about, of people realize how big you are. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, um, about six, two, one ninety at 13. 
had a little crushed ash, so I, I looked older. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I had a tattoo also, so that helped. You know, that that created the illusion of me being older. <laughs> who, I mean, who trained you? Your dad? Um, my dad and my brother Samu and uh, my brother Lloyd. So um, I was training, like I knew how to bump. Like I always jumped in the ring. My dad would, you know, hey son, t- you know, taught me how to bump very early. Um, so I knew how to bump and I was always, um, messing around with Sean Maluda and my, ne- uh, my nephew Lance. And, um, we were so-called backyarders, I guess, you know, we'd always be beating the crap out of each other in the front yard, backyard, basement always. And, um, so I always had that, you know, I guess, but formal training, um, it all happened in Austria when I asked my dad if I could wrestle, um, cause there was this kid, Chris, the Bambi killer. Um, he's You're pretty pretty big name over there um nowadays um so he spoke a little bit of english um we were about the same size you know um so and the rest of the roster was pretty small you know in europe they weren't they weren't very big um at least where we were training at anyways and uh so i asked my dad i was like dad i want to wrestle i'll train as soon as we get back you know just uh what do i got to do to get on this card and um he was very adamant he was like you have to train like you got to train. You can't, you know, this is, this isn't playtime with the cousins. This is, you got to train. Um, so I was like, yeah, sure. No problem. I'll train when I get back. And he says, no, you have to train now. So then he called my brothers up and we were in a, the suite of a hotel in Austria, in Graz, Austria. It was hot as hell. There's no air conditioned <laughs> at this time. And um, we moved all the furniture out. I mean, all of it, all the beds, the, the, you know, the couches and everything. And my brother's, proceeded to kick my ass the old school way. I learned how to bump, take hip tosses, arm drags, like everything that I could do in that hotel room, I did. And after the first session, I, I was just like, all right, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, <laughs> I'll just go back to playing Little League. And my dad looked at me and he was like, it's too late. You're on the card. We need you. So. Holy crap. Yeah. Amazing. So the next couple of days, it, it was a lot of repeating of that was my brothers just really, really laying it into me and, and, you know, making sure that I could bump. So then when I did get into the ring, it was easy, (laughs) you know, but it it was semi easy. Like my first match was a battle Royal and not one single person in that battle Royal spoke English. So that was a challenge. Like, you know, like I was always just thrown into the ring and see how I did, you know? Now you're not born when your dad is in his prime, correct? I was born in 84. So, okay. So I'm mean, yeah. still wrestling pretty full time. Yeah, he was full time. Um, my dad actually got fired when I was born um, because he left um, a taping or something like that and um, to watch me be born and, and he got cut. <laughs> so that was the time, you know, that was those different times. times. Yeah. Miss a booking. Yeah. And then, so I, I grew up watching my dad as a head shrinker was my early memories of my father. Right. Because I remember watching your dad in his prime of primes. They were my favorite tag team at the time. I would always tell your dad and like I was always him and my friend Jimmy Lloyd was not the wrestler Jimmy Lloyd, another Jimmy Lloyd. He was Sika and we would, you know, do backyard headbutts and like (laughs) the double Samoan uh, head drops, uh, headbutts. Also for its time, I want to say one of the most devastating maneuvers is the Samoan drop. Oh, yeah. 
they had built that up so big for that time. And like, I was always like, once they hit the small drop, these guys are dead because they also protected finishes then. Right. But watching a lot of the guys take it too. There's a lot of, because they didn't know how. No, they didn't know how. So they're all reaching back, trying to protect themselves. And it's just devastating. (laughs) I like when guys like I know you've done it where I've seen you kind of land guys quick. You'll bump quicker. Yeah. So they don't get hurt or other guys will grab their arms. So you don't break your arm. Yeah. Because that's the first thing to go in a Simone drop is they always reach back, you know, to try to brace for the impact. And there's too much weight coming. (laughs) (laughs) And rule number one, never reach back for the mat. So everyone, uh, yeah. And those enhancement matches were brutal back in the day. Oh, they were great. They didn't know how to take it. Uh, Me and Eddie Edwards do a deep dive on squash matches uh, all the time. And like how horrible some of these guys are that getting in the ring. And then they're just getting beat up because it's your job to look good. And they're not doing their job. So they have to beat you up. (laughs) It's like throw, throw it to the lions. I love it. I love it. Yes. <laughs> uh, what about growing up at home? I remember you had told me a story about one time when you had messed up, but like, do you feel, I don't want to say I had a normal childhood, but like it, my generation, I had no clue how to get into wrestling, but for you, like my daughters, they're like, Oh, it's, it's, that's my dad. You know, right. like there was no weirdness about it. And I'm also very laid back, but I remember you telling me a story one time when you had messed up and how terrified you were because I mean, your dad's also a known badass in the world of wrestling. Um, And you had told me a story about you had messed up and like, you were like terrified to wait, but that's every kid, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's like when I would mess up and my dad would really, really call me. in. so there was a different level, you know, it was just, my dad would work me a lot. He would work a lot when I was a kid, you know, he would, the base, the eyes, he would pop the eyes out, you know, and, and when the eyes would pop out, like, it was just like, oh my God, I couldn't separate, uh, you know, wild Samoan from pops, you know? And I feel like he, he would do that just to pop himself. Cause like he would get me, come here, come here. What did you do? What did you do? You know what I mean? And I'm, and I'm crying by the time I even get over to him. And then he'd be like, you know what? Get over here. You know what? put your hands down and I'd be trying to block everything. And I put my hands down and he'd give me a working punch and I would be, I'd sell it too. Like, Oh my God, you know what I mean? Like, and it would, it wouldn't t- never touch me. <laughs> now go to your room. And, and then like, it, it was just the fear that I had of him, you know, like he would just be wild Samoan when he had to. And and that's, I think that's what kept us all in line. A lot of the times, you know, yeah. was, was that healthy fear. Also your brother, like, he was training. I mean, he's in WWE at what? 18, 19 tagging with his father. Right. Yep. yep. I got to talk to Sam because I remember like, and then when I'm seeing it and I'm like, cause I saw him wrestle live and I'm like, wait, how old are you? And he's like, no dude, I was, I was like 17, 18 there. And I'm like, yeah, he was young. class. And he was just like, yeah, I think it was about 16, 17. And I'm like, and on television and having competitive matches and like wrestling <laughs> Andre. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. I mean, he, he's a whole other prodigy, but that, that'll be what well, he filled in when he became Wild Samoan number three. It was because uh, Uncle Sika got hurt. I believe he like broke his ankle or something like that. Right. So right. he was out for a while. And then that's when he, you know, we were on top. So um, he was he was next in line. That's awesome. That's uh shoot bloodline there for you. Yeah. Um, so now you're in the business, but you also, you go to high school. 
Yeah. College. Yep. I went to University of Connecticut. Yeah. Same high school as The Rock at Freedom High School. And, and then I also you, uh, did a year um, at military school at Fork Union Military Academy. And you were also a, a very, very good athlete. Yeah, I was. Uh, I had a full scholarship in football. Um, I got my first um, full ride offer in 10th grade at University of Pittsburgh. Um, I was um, U.S. Army All-American. I played in the U.S. Army All-American Bowl with like Reggie Bush and Vernon Davis and all these guys. And then um, I took a full ride to UConn where I got the most playing time out of any true freshman on the team. Um, we had a lot of a lot of NFL talent on that team too. Dan Orlovsky, ESPN guy now, um, he was our quarterback. Um, Darius Butler was on our team. Tyvon Branch. We had a lot of guys on our team that went to the league, um, and we went to the first um, bowl game in UConn history. And then I blew my knee out in that game, <laughs> and then I uh, took the rehab year and ended up signing with the WWE that year. Right. So now you're in WWE. This is when it's FCW. Um, it was first Deep South. I signed in October of, uh, of 2006. And uh, yeah, it was Deep South. So I was in Deep South for the very end of that before it closed down. And then I went to uh, to FCW. Yeah. How old were you when you got signed? 22. Wow. Yeah. I thought you were so much older, but it now makes all sense. <laughs> no, yeah, it makes just sense. It's been in the business forever, you, you know? Yeah. Um, I did not sign you. I believe it was either Nova or Canyon Seaman, correct? Um, Bill, Bill DeMott was, was the one who did my tryout. Um, so I'm not sure who, um, I was always claimed as a Johnny Ace guy. (laughs) (laughs) So I I guess, you know, I don't, I'm not sure who pulled the trigger and said, well, I was just saying who was running developmental at that time. Yeah. Uh, it, It was right before, um, that Kenyan guy came in. Okay. So, so it's probably Nova meets Johnny that, that, uh, era. Yeah. So you're in deep South. Wait, what year was this? 2000, 2006. So I, I got signed. My tryout day was the same class as, um, TJ Wilson and Natty Nyhart. So it's Nova time. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you're down there. Uh, Georgia, and then it goes to Florida. Johnny closes up that developmental. We go, you go to Florida. Mm-hmm. That's where I wrestle you. Yep, I remember that in like some sort of big ass bar. Yeah, that was in uh, Fort Myers. Fort Myers. I don't remember the name of the bar, but I remember it was in Fort Myers. Yep, Steve Kern is running it. How was that whole experience for you? Because I mean, again, um, you're in the business. You've been around the business. Sometimes, like I remember when I went to WWE, it was a big learning curve because oh, yeah. I'm no longer in ECW anymore, and I'm a different Tommy Dreamer starting over. Right. So that that happened with me too. So when I first signed, I was already in the business about nine years. Um, crap. Yeah. <laughs> So I thought I knew a lot, like I was really athletic, you know what I mean? Being a division one football player and having the wrestling background that I've always had. Um, but when I got to WWE, it was, it was like, I, I felt like a greenhorn. Like I knew nothing about the business. Like, you know, so it was like, Oh, okay. We've got to relearn everything, <laughs> yeah. you know? So that was a big, uh, eye opening experience. Um, where, but I clicked on it really well, you know, because of my experience. So I was able to, to right away, everything that they were teaching float right pretty much to the top of the class um, because it was very obvious to guys who had the, the indie experience in the previous training 
because we were in like a weird class where there was a lot of newcomers, like, you know, um, who didn't have any experience. Yeah. We were just learning the business in deep South or in FCW. And then there was a, a lot of us like me and TJ who would come from the Indies who, you know, who uh, have a little bit of experience with the, you know, just how to do moves and stuff like that. So for those kind of guys, it was pretty easy to, to float to the top, you know? Yeah. And, that was the different weirder mix when in the developmental, like even, I mean, now, like, it's they just want people with no experience so they can right. teach them their system. But then it was like a lot of people who've been doing it, a lot of people who have some experience. They know how like there's no day oneers, but now they just started the day oneers. Right. Yeah. yeah so, so it is, and it, it would give a lot of the the talent anxiety working these day one guys too, because when all those agents and come in, would come in and stuff like that, you know anxiety is already at a max <laughs> everyone's trying to get noticed trying to get on tv and stuff and then you got to go in there and have a great match with you know someone who's been in the ring for like four weeks <laughs> so it was and different the experienced different ones time. that are told to go out there and have the good match yep. must have also been hard or drills suck to begin with mm -hmm. but drills you're young but drills nine years in must have sucked even more. Yeah. So I had the advantage of coming straight out of at a football camp. Okay. So like I was, you know, at least training at that, you know, we were training for the NFL. We were always training at, at top levels. And, um, but even still, I was still blow up in the ring because wrestling cardio is unlike anything else. You know, yes. it's playing, you know, training for a 60 minute football game isn't the same as training for a 20 minute match where you're flexing every muscle and, and you're blowing up in your entrance. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, and it's just different. Well, it's one of my favorite times where I get to uh, not only uh, thank my sponsor, but talk about their product. Mango. That's right. Let's think Mango. They need to be heard. You know why? Because they help men get hard and go hard. That's right. I said it. New innovative compound that will level up your bedroom game. And hey, we all want to step it up in the bedroom, don't we? They have three FDA approved ingredients. It's rapid dissolving tablets. They hit the bloodstream quick for faster results. And we want to be able to go hard quicker faster, stronger, and you can achieve that. And guess what? It's also mango flavored. Get it? Mango, but it's mango flavored. Same spelling, different pronunciation. They're individually packaged for on the go. It's 100% online, free doctor visits, no awkwardness when you're talking to a doctor. And it's discreet. You know, just gets, you know, you go on the internet, boom, you go to Mango, you get what you want. And what does that want? You want to be able to go hard and get hard. No subscription required to try our Mangoes. Now, I want everyone right now to stop what you're doing. Go to MangoRx.com. That's right. MangoRx.com. And use the promo code GAS15 and our listeners will receive 15% off your first order. That's right. The promo code GAS15 for 15% off your first order so you can get hard and go hard with Mango. And now let's get back to the show. Um, Now you get the call to get called up. What does, and it's totally different from 
the Samoan characters that have been portrayed in the history of wrestling. You're no yeah. longer a savage. You're no longer a cannibal. You're no right. longer eating raw chicken. Um, you're a different type of character. How was all that? How did that go about? Like the whole call up all that stuff. Well, um, so I've been, I was off a of junior the whole time through developmental, you know, um, they let me be off a of junior the whole time there. Like there was, there was some moments there where I was barefoot for a long time down there. Like I, I was a more modernized version of the wild Samoan, you know, um, more, I spoke, you know, um, and I think that's what made me different. But when I got called up, they wanted me in boots. They wanted my hair back. They wanted me, you know, clean shaven. Um, and that took a lot of who I was, I think, feel like out of the character on t television. You know, it, it was um, pretty uncomfortable, <laughs> you know, because it was like I was always programmed to, you know, always do what, what gets you there. You know, always do what gets you there. Always do what gets you there. Don't change, don't change, don't change. And then when you get there... They wanted you to change like everything, <laughs> you know, um, like everything from like my gear to, you know, they took all the colors out of my gear, just plain black. Like it was just a big, big transition from the night I debuted at Unforgiven to the next night on Raw. It was two different people, you know? Yep. And it's you, Cody. And Ted. And who? And Ted Jr. Oh, yes, yes, yes. The, yeah. And you're all with Randy. Yeah. So when I first debuted, it was just the three of us. Mm -hmm. um, they were having their, their feud with um, Crime Time, where Crime Time kept stealing their belts, whatever. So they tried to steal the belts. I came in and blasted them from the back, saved them from, you know, getting their belts taken. And then we had the, the little run with Crime Time, which then went into um, Punk and Kofi. Because, like, initially I jumped Punk at Unforgiven. That was my big debut. We jumped them in the back. Um, which ended up taking him out of his world heavyweight title match. And they ended up losing the strap that night because of it. And it was just one of those weird, weird times. And, uh, but yeah, that was my big night. And then the next day was, was raw and I had boots on and hair slicked back. Whereas the night before I came out, you know, loud Island colors, you know, hair out, you know, homage to my father it was they didn't need so much video um footage to say hey this is off of sun like you could just see it at that point you oh know? yeah but uh that's where we're at now so uh, how long were you in the main on the main roster for i was on the main roster about nine months so went around the world twice with them and then all uh, came crumbling down <laughs> do you have a favorite uh moment or like a high of highs for you there yeah um so uh, my high of highs there um aside from you know the pay-per-view work pay-per-view work was always fun and exciting um but my high of highs was the world tours um getting to wrestle Dilo brown all over the world so Dilo was always one of my top three guys that i always studied and, and you know and tried to borrow stuff from from work growing up in the business and so to be able to work him um, around the world and like Paris and, you know, Germany and all these places. It was, yeah, that was awesome. And, you know, the house show vibes, we get time. So we could go out there and have a 15 minute match, 20 minute match. It's, and it's fun um, versus the quick and TV pace. Um, but on TV, it was, you know, having my first raw singles match was against Batista. Um, 
so I had a lot of like storybook stuff that happened. Like my first, um, when I won the FCW title, it was against Kidman, who was a wild Samoan trained guy. Um, my very first developmental match ever was against Tommy Suede, who was a Tom, um, wild Samoan guy. <laughs> my very first singles match on raw against Batista, you know, wild Samoan guy, like all these things happen. So I had a really good one with Batista. So that was always a memorable one for me too. Um, <clears throat> I remember Tommy. Uh, it, it it is really cool. Just to go back to what you said to D'Lo Brown, I don't think it's enough recognition for how good of a wrestler he was. Right. And another guy who was deceptively very big mm-hmm. uh, during his career. Um, but I mean, he is. I wrestled D'Lo a million times and just so smooth in the ring, heel or babyface. And uh, again, you, I always say you you put two really really talented wrestlers out there, give them time, and they'll tell an amazing story uh out there and i mean i'm sure those like you said there were there were some of your favorite matches just because of the person that you're also working and then like you said he's a top three for you but it's cool that you got to see that because again you grew up in the industry and you you know like well this guy's not that good but his push is telling you he's good as opposed to someone like d'lo who didn't get the rocket push right uh he kind of had to earn his career uh, where he was and all that stuff. I've always had great, like my better matches have been against guys of, of like D'Lo, you know, um, and, and Tyson kid. He was another one who I would, I would wrestle every day, eyes closed, you know, and he was just someone that I naturally clicked with. Um, and I just, it, as cool as it, as it is to be in the ring and hear Triple H's music hit and, you know, and hear those big pops from the scene of music and, you know, those kind of things. It's like, when you get in there with two hungry guys, really, really trying to grab some attention, I feel like the magic really happens then, you know? Absolutely. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Uh, So now... You're you leave WWE. Now what? Because for a lot of people, that's as you know, it's devastating. Um, but you also understand the business. So what's your mindset? My mindset was um, let's get overseas somewhere. <laughs> um, and for me, it was Puerto Rico. Um, so I went and I had a really good run in Puerto Rico. Um, first time I went over there, it was by myself. Um, as Manu and I wrestled, you know, Carlito and, and Primo and, and all the, the top Puerto Rico guys, excuse me. And, um, then, um, they booked us as me and my brother Lloyd as SOS, the sons of Samoa. And that was supposed to be a one weekend shot where we were supposed to go over and help get over thunder and lightning, um, as heels. Now they're the top babyface team in the island forever, so it was a very difficult task to help get them over as heels, especially us being the Samoans who have always been heels. Now we're being called in as babyfaces over there. 
Um, but somehow, some way, it ended up working. Um, and we ended up getting a three-year um, run out of a one-weekend booking, you know, just, just by getting over. So it, that was really fun. Um, I did a lot of work in Europe, too, um, in Belgium. Um, did some work in South Africa and stuff like that. So primarily for me, um, it was all overseas work after WWE, like immediately after WWE. Uh, total sidebar. I remember I come into Puerto Rico and I'm traveling with you and Lloyd. Yeah. And we're driving to one other side of the island. All three of us. I'm crammed in the back. You two guys are in the front. <laughs> And you guys are talking about this place to eat and it's going to be so great. And you're building this up that this like this really, really great place to eat. And we're driving up to the, the you know, through the mountain of Puerto Rico or wherever. <laughs> and we eventually pull up and like we get off to the side of the road. And I don't see a restaurant. I don't see <laughs> anything. And I'm like, where are they taking me? And then we go like, to the side of the road slash mountain. And it's a dude making food out of his trunk of his yep. car. That's right. And, and it's fish and it's chicken. And I'm a little leery, but I was like, and when I tell you it was some of the best food I ever had <laughs> out of some random dude's tr uh, trunk out of his car. But you guys built what a payday, like, and Lloyd's uh, talking about the fish and like all the stuff and an aluminum foil. This eventually comes up. You guys order for me. I'll take this, this. And then sure as shit, that shit was dope. That's right. That's right. You got to eat local when you go to those places, you, you know, um, especially in the islands, you know, in Puerto Rico and Hawaii and stuff like that. If you don't know those little, <laughs> those little roadside spots, you're really missing out. You're really missing out. And then on the way back, because, you know, you're, you're last, we've got to go. And it's only like, it's much different with traffic uh, going there as opposed to home. And they're like, hey, we're going to stop at this other spot. And we stop at this other spot. And when I tell you, there's dogs everywhere, wild dogs <laughs> everywhere. And I'm like, where are these guys taking me now? It's late. We go and it's, you know, the three of us walking, which is a sight of known. Some... <laughs> 24 hour place that serves like I think I got like empanadas and something like this. Oh, yeah. And right, right on the water. You're like, yeah, feed the dogs, but don't touch them because they're wild dogs. And like, you know, you, hey, you don't want to buy them, plus they got diseases, but yet they're just walking around this food establishment. <laughs> hey, that's their island, you know? <laughs> and sure as shit, the food, the empanadas were awesome, and everything I ate was great. That's right. And if it was daytime, you would have seen the best view ever because we were right on the water that night too. Right. Yeah. So after all that, uh, because I mean, and again, you do indies when you're around uh, in the States, but you said for the last three years, you're doing all this stuff uh, overseas. Now uh, you're gone from WWE. How many years? Um, I left in 2009. So yeah. Yeah. So it's been a while. Same time as me, you left a little later uh, after I did. Um, you have, what are you doing now? You have your own promotion. Yeah, right now. Um, your own training school. Yes, sir. Yep. So plug it. Tell me. So um, I'm running uh, Battlefield Pro Wrestling. Um, uh, we run monthly shows um, and where we have student shows broken down into kind of our developmental brand where we can get our students, their reps on smaller shows. Um, that's called the futures. Um, so we run those 
also monthly. And then we have Battlefield Pro Wrestling, which we have pay-per-view events on the premier streaming network. Um, and I run the Battlefield Pro Wrestling Performance Center, um, which is, I, I basically built it off of all my all my travels and, and learning experiences, um, you know, in the, in my career. Um, so it has a lot of WWE feel uh, mixed with, you know, some Dr. Tom, some, some Bill DeMont, some wild Samoan training, you know, some things that I picked up from the hearts and stuff like that. So kind of blended it all into one facility. Um, we have a full 24 hour gym. Um, we have, you know, two event spaces, one, the event center, and then we also have the dojo side that fits about 250 people. So that's where we run our futures events. Um, and it's going great. We have right now, uh, 44 students, um, and we train four days a week and, you know, it's all about ring time and reps here with us. So, and bumps, you know, the Samoans are known for, for taking big bumps. <laughs> and I've been there. It is an impressive facility. And like you say, like, it's not, you know, you hear the, I mean, well, you we heard your own war story of learning how to do it in a hotel room right? Uh, or, right. Hey, here's a garage. You open up the garage door and there's, there's a ring. But I mean, this is one grade a type of like a, a performance center. It's a, if it's a facility, I mean, it's got, you also have uh, people where you train like with promos and like you have all these different areas, but then the the gym is amazing gym. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. A lot of work. So we have everything that I, I try to put everything in there um, that we need. We, we, we have the, the tanning bed in there. We have a sauna in there. At one point we even had a barber in there that would, you know, give haircuts and stuff like that. We got um, a massage uh, person that comes in there. We got chiropractors that come in there. Like it's a one-stop shop, you know? Um, and like I said, we have the, the event center too, which is very similar to like the FCW arena. You know, at first we, we had the ring right behind that wall, like in the, in the locker room space. Um, but, uh, it's hard to keep that, uh, one ring back there when we have 44 students. So we had to upgrade, get a bigger space, more rings and, uh, you know, we're growing and it's very exciting just to watch all these guys, um, you know, grow in the business, you know, guys who come in some with some experience, we have guys with no experience coming in. It's, it's just incredible to watch their journey. Agreed. And glad that you got Brutus some uh, paid gigs uh, during his time as the barber. Um, <laughs> a delayed pop. Where's Dreamer? There going? is the pop. There it is. Uh, well, how do we find you on social media? Social media? I'm um, uh, Samoan Storm. Uh, you can find me on that on uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram. And um, on Instagram, uh, we are Battlefield. So. And uh, that that's your all your social medias for your school and everything. Yeah. Yeah. You could connect that through everything through there. You can search us uh, battlefield pro wrestling over Facebook, Instagram, and uh, we don't have a Twitter yet for, for the school, but we're getting one. Hey, uh, I forgot to ask this in the beginning uh, because again, it's a different upbringing, but I don't want to assume you, did you have a favorite wrestler growing up? Yeah. My favorite wrestler uh, was my brother, Samu. <laughs> he was always uh my favorite um aside from him though like mark out guy it was bret hart i like i loved bret hart big bret hart guy and uh the great muda he was my those, are three, those are three amazing uh people bret hart wrestles your brother who, who do you cheer straight uh, up mark time uh, my uh i was i was <laughs> 
straight up mark time i I would always root for my brother i see that's the thing that turned (laughs) me though against brett was he was wrestling my brother one time and my dad popped up to you know cause interference or something like that and and brett drop kicked my dad and that was it and then i wasn't so much of a bret hart fan after that night and that's a shoot (laughs) (laughs) because my dad never smartened me up man when i was a kid it was he raised me to believe it as it was presented, you know, that generation, that was what they did. And like, I, I love hearing that it's good and it's bad, but it also makes you respect how much he did protect. Cause he's, he's, they didn't smarten up his own son, even dude, for me, my mom just recently passed. Like my mom would always be like, people would say like, how, how is that fake? And she'd be like, you don't understand all the bruises. You don't understand all you know what i see she goes there's no way you can fake that and i never like even when wrestlers would be putting my mom for some reason hated wrestlers putting their foot on my throat and she would turn away and i'd be like mom i'm fine i'm literally sitting next to you and she's like why would you allow somebody to do that and i was just like because like i okayed it she goes well you shouldn't and she's like it's wrong and I'm like, well, now you're Mark, but right. I would be like, even when I'm saying, but I'm okay. She didn't accept it because she, she's stepping on you. And I was like, yes, they are stepping on me, right. but I know how to protect myself. And if I didn't like it, I'll just push his heel off. Yeah. Well, you shouldn't let that happen. But I never said, ma, he's never touching me or ma this. And that's my own mother. Yeah. So yeah. it is, it's different. And I can't, I can't smarten her up now. Um, and it is, it's, it is, I mean, but you, you've also lived it. It is every, everything we always do is real. Yeah, for sure. For and sure. we feel it. Uh, we feel it from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to bed. Unfortunately, we feel it when no one else is watching, you know, Ooh, that's a heavy one. Like that's when we feel it because like that adrenaline kicks and you know, when them, them lights and cameras go on, we're not feeling it then we feel it when no one else is watching. I'm going to end it on that. Cause that's a heavy line. Well, uh, I appreciate you. I love you. Uh, it's good to catch up and see you. And I loved your, I loved your story because even though I've known you for a long time, I didn't know some of those things. That's one of my favorite things about doing these things. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, I hope to see you again. And that's this week's episode of the House of Hardcore podcast with Afa the Wild Samoan. Thank you. Thank you for having me, brother. Love you. Oh. Love.